Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here. And it is so good, as always, just to see your faces. And we're, we've taken maybe a bit of a deviation from our standard Sundays. But here we are. We want to gather. We want to worship God. We want to be equipped by His Word. And uh, let me just pray for us this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, You would be amongst us here. Lord, that Your Spirit would be here making Your Word alive in our hearts. That You would be bringing transformation and power this morning. Lord, let me pray that uh, our hearts will be ready to receive all that You have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So guys, we are on our ninth and final part of our nine-week series, going through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, it has been so apt for us because Peter has been challenging us. And again, I've been so proud of you guys. Uh, just seeing how you're responding to some really tough teaching, to some really big challenges, and you guys have taken up the challenge. Because Peter's really trying to teach us how do we live in a non-Christian world? How do we even live in an anti-Christian world? Because that is increasingly the environment that we're living in. And hopefully you're asking the question, but how do we do this? And in short, Peter's saying, well, you need to see yourselves as exiles, citizens of heaven that are journeying through earth. And yet God is calling us to influence earth that we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Peter's been teaching us to think differently, and Peter's been teaching us to hope differently, and Peter's been teaching us to love differently and to act differently. He's been teaching us to demonstrate this living hope that we have with our actions in love. He's been teaching us to also proclaim this hope that we have with our words and with our actual lips. And to do that with gentleness and respect in a way that just points towards the heart of Christ. He's been teaching us about marriage. He's been teaching us about how we submit to authority. Even unjust authority. Even unjust governmental authority. Or your unjust boss there at work. So Steve, I think just bring it down a bit there. And today Peter's going to teach us that we have an enemy. Peter's going to teach us that we have an enemy. And just remember who Peter's writing to. Peter's writing to a bunch of people scattered around the Roman Empire. And Nero, who was the Roman emperor at the time, had it on his desire that he was going to personally and violently get rid of Christians. And he was violently persecuting them. It was a very dangerous time to be a Christian. And now Peter's writing to these guys. He's about to speak about the enemy. And notice that when he talks about the enemy, he doesn't say, well, Rome's the enemy. He doesn't say, well, Caesar is the enemy. He doesn't say any of the government officials are the enemy as much as they are maybe the ones primarily responsible for the deaths of so many believers at this time. You see, guys, we in our own lives are going to be so tempted to look to flesh and blood as the enemy. We are going to be so tempted to think that authorities are the enemy. We are going to be so tempted to think it's some person in power who is the enemy. We are going to be so tempted to think it's our husband or our wife or our ex-husband or our ex-wife or our parents or our children who are the real enemy. We are going to be so tempted to believe that someone is holding the keys of this war and we're going to look at them and we're going to blame them. And then of course there's, there's not only us in our individual lives, there's who we are as a church. And guys, I, I just have so much 
confidence in what God is calling us to as a church. He's calling us to walk in faith. He's maybe going to be calling us to walk in the darkness a bit. But he's saying, guys, here's where I want you to be. And now start walking. Don't wait for me to pave the road for you. Walk and see how I act and remove obstacles in your way. And guys, there's one thing that our true enemy hates. And that's faith. And that's when a church walks by faith. Craig and I have been adopting a phrase that the devil doesn't dance on dormant churches. And I've got no doubt that the devil is using Riverside for target practice. I've absolutely no doubt about that. And we as a church are going to be so tempted when we encounter difficulties to think, oh, someone in government or someone else in authority. We're going to be tempted to think that the enemy is flesh and blood. And yet here we are gathered in faith. And here we are experiencing sound issues and inconveniences. And yet here we are. And I want to encourage you guys that even now we are walking. We are walking. We are gathering. We are here to be equipped by God and empowered by His Spirit. And we're going to carry on walking. But the enemy does hate that. And you need to know that. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, here it starts off by saying, be self-controlled and alert. Why does he start off saying those things? Maybe you've learned that when something goes wrong in your life, don't trust your first response. Right? When something goes wrong, when you stub your toe, when someone cuts you off in traffic, uh, when the sound goes off, when we are inconvenienced as a church, don't trust your first response. We are going to be tempted to, you know, put something on Facebook, or we're going to be tempted to click and share, or we're going to be tempted to write that email and send that email without thinking about it much, right? We're going to be tempted to fire off our mouths. We're going to be tempted to respond in the heat of the arguments. And how far has that gotten us? So Peter's saying, listen, there are things that are going wrong. You guys are experiencing such great difficulty and suffering, and you've got an enemy I'm going to speak to you about, so therefore be self-controlled. All right, Bianca, who's done some coaching with uh, neuro-coaching, she calls our first response an amygdala hijack, where our emotional brain takes over from our uh, 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 functional brain. Well, it's all functional. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Cognitive brain. And we just respond, you know, I feel angry, I feel upset, I feel hurt, and I respond out of that as opposed to really stopping to think. And God, when we as a church are experiencing difficulty, when you in your personal spaces and you in your personal families experience suffering, experience any of the things that Peter's been teaching us about, we even experience a direct attack of the enemy. He's saying, number one, be self-controlled. We're going to think about this. We're going to actually try and understand what the devil is up to so that we can move on wisely from there. So, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil. Now, I don't know where you picture a devil. If you picture a guy in red tights with a tail and, you know, he's kind of naughty trying to... And most of us think about the devil. He's there to, like, give me a flat tire. You know, Stephen, I'm under spiritual attack. What happened? Oh, I got to work late. 
Stephen, I'm in a spiritual attack. Well, well, why do you say that? Oh, I failed my exam. You know, I think sometimes we think that there's this cute little thing out there just trying to make our lives unhappy. And what Peter's going to teach us today is that the devil's got much more worse for you on his agenda than to make your lives unhappy. And these first two words here, your enemy. It's not just God's enemy. It's not just like a cosmic battle out there. It's not just Jesus' enemy. But if you don't know this, the devil has declared war on the children of God. And that's you. This is your enemy. And he has declared outright war on you. That is why I say be alert. Be self-controlled. Then he goes to describe our enemy like a lion. 2 Corinthians 2 verses 11 says this about Satan and and us being alert and self-controlled. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. See, we've got two ways to respond to our enemy. This lion who is prowling around seeking to someone to devour. We can ignore him. C.S. Lewis said there's two opposite ways to respond to the enemy. The one way is to make too much of him and we blame everything on the devil. And the other way is to make not enough of him. So on on one hand, we can kind of ignore the fact that there's an enemy out there. The other day I heard a story about a tourist that had wandered out of the safety of the camp into the bush. And uh, some lions came along, saw the tourist. And the tourist did what you should never do when a a couple of lions are walking away. And she started to run. And the lions do what lions do. And they chowed her while she was trying to take a selfie. (laughs) You see, we can pretend there's no enemy out there. And that's what's going to happen. Or, if you can imagine walking around the bush, knowing there's a lion there, are you not going to be so thoughtful? Are you not going to make sure that every single step is going to keep you safe? Are you not going to make sure that you do everything in your power to understand how he wants to get to you, so that you can survive the day or survive the night? So we want to be aware of his schemes. So what are his schemes? How can we be aware of his schemes? Because I believe that God has given us the devil's playbook. He's actually showing us, this is how he works. Yes, he's out there, but let's prepare you so that you are equipped to outwit him. Now one of the biggest things we need to know about the enemy is that he's a liar. In fact, Jesus calls him the father of lies. And what I want to show you today, we won't have time to kind of teach you everything that the devil does. But we will see that almost everything he does comes down to the fact that he's a liar. He's a distorter of truth. And so much of his destruction comes from him sowing seeds of lies and us believing them. If you do have your Bibles, we're just going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. Where we first come across him, and we first come across his lies, and we first come across how dangerous he is. Genesis 3 verses 1 to 5, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from every tree in the garden, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. And just look at this flat out lie. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, 
your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The first trick of the enemy was to lie about God's words. It's his first trick, it's his oldest trick, and it's his most used trick. To go to Adam and Eve, to go to Stephen, to go to you on any given day and say, did God really say that? Sometimes it's an internal voice. Sometimes we're reading God's Word and maybe a book like 1 Peter which has some really tough sections to digest. And sometimes we're reading a section, we're reading that God's calling us to holiness or maybe we recognize that God is calling us to sacrifice or God is calling us to mission or God is calling us to be generous or God is calling me to maybe give up something or God is calling me to maybe leave a relationship behind. And we read God's Word that is so plain to us and then this little voice inside of us says, Did God really say that? Have you experienced that? I experience that regularly. Sometimes it's an internal voice, sometimes an external voice. I said to you, and I know this can really frustrate some of you, but um, we can go into Christian bookstores and we can go into Christian podcasts and we can have some people who claim to be teaching God's Word coming to you saying, that God really say that? Casting doubts in God's Word? Is this really God's words? And here's the thing that we need to know. About when the enemy says to us, either externally or internally, that God really say that. He's always going to be appealing to the flesh. The alternative he's giving you is always going to feel easier. It's always going to feel easier to digest, easier to, to walk in. It's always going to be the broader road. And we need to recognize this is the deceptive voice of the enemy. Did God really say that? The first thing he does is the devil lies about God's words. But as we read the story of, of the enemy challenging Adam and Eve, we also see that he lies about God's goodness. He gets Adam and Eve up to that point in time. They've just seen God as good. They've seen his creation as good. God saw his wife as good. And I'm pretty sure that his wife saw her husband as good. And they saw the fruit as good. And they saw God's commands as good. And then the devil kind of says, really? Does God really have your best interests at heart? Is God really good? Are you sure he's not maybe hiding something for you? Are you sure maybe he's not being overly restrictive? Are you sure he's not being a buzzkill? Are you sure that God is not a no-fun zone? Are you sure that maybe God's got too many rules and he's this judgmental authority up there in the clouds? Are you sure it's not like that? Because at the heart of the deception is not only the lies about God's words, but the lies about God's goodness. And then we begin to believe the lies about his words too. I don't know if you've experienced that. You've read something, and again, God calling you to mission, or God calling you to sacrifice or service, or whatever He's speaking to you about, and there's something in your heart that immediately interprets God's command as overly harsh. I thought God wanted me to be happy. And let me tell you that God wants more joy for you than you've ever, ever believed. But in the short term, we often start to believe, ah, I don't know about that. God started to not feel like a good father to me. And we need to recognize the voice of the enemy. So he lies to us about God's words. He lies to us about God's goodness. Can you see how subtle this is though? 
If the devil's attacks was making us like kill cats and levitate and drink blood and kind of you know, paint pentagrams on everything, very few people would be deceived. But his attacks are far more subtle than that. Number three, he lies to you about you. And one of the ways he does it is that he uses some truth that it leads you to believe something untrue. Uh, I don't think it's a secret at all that I love fishing. And at the heart of fishing, that's exactly what it is. Especially uh, fly fishing, you, you take a piece of steel and you try and wrap some feathers and some fur on it so that when you pull it through the water, it looks like a real insect, a little dragonfly nymph, or whatever the case might be. And you try and move it in the way that a real dragonfly nymph moves. So the tribe goes from eating real dragonfly nymphs, he sees your little thing going along, and he goes and he eats it. Because in his mind, he's convinced that's the real thing. And that's what makes me so happy because then he's on. Right? Because I put something in the fly to hook him. See, one of the devil's titles is he's an accuser. So he comes to you and he says, you're not. And this is probably the most common lie to you. He says, you're not blank enough. You're not good enough. You're not loved enough. You're not forgiven enough. You're not wonderful enough. And, and again, each of us maybe experiences this in different ways. Maybe he comes to you and says, are, are you sure God loves you? Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure that God's good? And then we start to conclude, well, I'm not enough. I, I'm not saved. I, I'm not forgiven. I'm not loved. And we begin to walk around this world like that. Uh, someone I was reading this week, and uh, he just said it so brilliantly. He said that the, that the devil's got a forked tongue. Meaning he comes to you on the one side and he says, hey, try out the sin. Hey, look at this. We're going to talk about temptation now. But fall for this. So he fall for it, and then he becomes a legalist and he accuses you. See what you've done? And then he says, can God really love you now? Maybe you've experienced being in a church on a Sunday or maybe waking up and saying, because of what I did last night or because of what I did this week, I can't come to God's presence. I can't read His Word. I can't pray because I am not blank enough. And we need to recognize the voice and the roar of our enemy. So He speaks to us about, He lies to us about God's words. He lies to us about God's goodness. He lies to us about us about you. He also lies to us about sin. At the heart of every sin, the devil tries to get us to believe this is so much better than what God has for you. So he says to us, for example, uh, sexual fulfillment, be it through multiple partners, be it through adultery, be it through pornography, be it through premarital sex, whatever the case might be, having a good time, hookups. This is so much better than what God has for you. Which is a lifetime commitment of love where God uses marriage to get us to experience what love is really about. Now, of course, in the short term, often this is true. I heard one pastor say, he said, if sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) And so the devil comes and he presents us with a sin. And something we start to believe is, that does look good. Me just losing it with my wife is going to feel so good. 
Me just berating my kids and frustrating them. It's going to feel so good right now. Now, I don't want to ignore the fact that we're sinners either. You see, when, we're, when we sin, that's on you, alright? But the devil is a master tempter. He knows exactly what he is doing. He knows your shortcomings. He knows how to set you up in order to make you fall. And in case you're thinking that I'm pushing things too far, I don't know how many of you have seen a show on Netflix called The Push by a mentalist called Darren Brown. Or Darren Brown. It's insane. He finds an unsuspecting normal person of the public who would never ever for a million years think that they're going to do what they're about to do. And then he takes a cast of 70 people. This is real life. It's like reality TV. He takes a cast of 70 people and they so manipulate reality around him. They show him symbols and signs and he doesn't know. He's just going through his life and they get this guy to the point where he pushes a rich old man to his death. Now that was part of the plan. So we find out that the guy didn't die. But in this guy's mind, he was pushed to a point where he was ready to commit murder. Now if a finite intelligence, Darren Brown can do that. How much more can our enemy set us up to fail? And we need to recognize this. And then of course, man, the devil wants to get into churches. We need to realize that when we gather, the devil uses us for target practice, as I spoke about earlier. The devil doesn't want churches doing what churches do. The devil doesn't want churches gathering, doesn't want churches to be empowered, doesn't want churches to be coming under God's word, doesn't want churches coming together in unity. So the devil's going to get in. And again, he's not going to just cause Stephen to start kind of speaking in some demonic tongue. No, no, no. He's going to cause us to gossip. He's going to cause dissension. He's going to cause this unity. So subtle but so dangerous. Some of you have seen that. Some of you have experienced that. C.S. Lewis. Always going to get wisdom from C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. A fictional story of a senior devil called Screwtape. Who's really trying to mentor a younger devil called Wormwood. And, and the story is that Wormwood's working with this one particular, he calls him a client, person. And Screwtape is mentoring him on how to bring him to destruction. So one stage in this book, this is what C.S. Lewis writes. And uh, it's kind of old, uh, a kind of uh, 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 an old environment that he speaks to, but just updated in your own mind maybe. But he writes this. One of our greatest allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patience sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate. He sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and in very small print. And when he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors, whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flip to and fro between expressions like, the body of Christ, 
and the actual faces in the next pew. You, speaking to this, this demon, you may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter, your patience, your patience, thanks to our Father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune, or have boots that squeak, or double chins or odd clothes, the patients will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Isn't that so insightful? And we need to recognize that is the enemy at work. Now there's so much more, but for time's sake, I'm going to start moving on. We've got this lion out there. He's declared war on you. And how are we going to respond to that? As I was preparing a, a, a story that I read probably as a 15, 16-year-old teenager came to mind. Um, and I think it is from a, a bunch of books I used to read by a guy called Willard Price. Willard Price kind of writes nature books, uh, fiction, uh, kind of good for boys to read. And, um, and I think it's, my memory comes from that. It might be from something else. It just work with me. The story works either way. <laughs> And at some stage in this story, this greatest story that's being told, uh, we find ourselves in this scene where there's a guy out in the wilderness at night. And all he's got is a sharpened stick. And what he does know is that there is an injured lion out there who is angry. So now I talk about being self-controlled in the left, right? He's saying, how do I keep alive? And what am I going to do if this lion finds me? And inevitably, the lion finds him. He turns around and he sees the lion. He says, "Uh, what am I going to do? It's me versus the lion. I can never win this thing. And then the lion jumps towards him. And in that moment, he's got the presence of mind to ram the stake into the ground. And the lion impales himself on that stake. You see, in the ordinary scheme of things, one guy with a stick ain't going to beat an injured, angry lion. So he had to realize, I need to trust something far more stronger than that lion. In this case, terra firma. Guys, you and the enemy, he is millions of times more powerful than you. He is millions of times more intelligent than you. You versus him, you lose every single time. So how do we resist? Well, we need to trust something far more powerful than him. We need to trust someone far more powerful than Him and let that might and that power do the real work. Which is why when we carry on reading 1 Peter chapter 5, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. In other words, he's declared war on you. You need to declare war on him. Resist him. How? By standing firm in the faith. What is faith? Faith is knowing what God has said and acting on it. Faith is knowing what God has said and acting upon it. Change the way you're thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Start living out the calling that God has on your life. That quite shortly is faith. So what does God have to say in this situation? Well, here's a good starting point for you. 1 John 3 verses 8. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
Hebrews 2 verses 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity, so that by his death brings us to next weekend, brings us to Easter, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. A starting point is to know that we're not guessing like Star Wars and so many of these other movies is, you know, is the positive, uh, I don't know Star Wars, so, you know, is the force or whatever the positive side of things is more powerful than the darkness. How is this movie going to end? How is the story going to end? We know how it ends. And that's where our faith begins. We know that at the cross, Jesus defeated death. We know that at the cross, Jesus defeated our enemy. So therefore we know that we are on the winning side. And that is our starting point. And faith is therefore knowing, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. You see, not only did Jesus, did Jesus defeat the devil 2,000 years ago in some war that you were not involved in. But one of the reasons Jesus died is to actually give Himself to you. To give His Spirit, His Spirit, to you. So that Paul can say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He can say things like, it is Christ in me that is the hope of glory. So how are you going to stand firm? You're going to know certain things about the victory of Christ. And you're going to know certain things about how Christ's power is in you. And you're going to trust His power and His work. And you're going to resist and stand firm. This Sunday, Jules just reminded us that uh, today is Palm Sunday. Many of you might have known it was Palm Sunday. And as you came in, there were palms laid out there and palms up front. And what is Palm Sunday essentially about? It's about the appearance of the most unlikely king coming in as a true triumphant king. It's the one who comes in humbly on a donkey. Coming in with triumph and with victory. And his people recognizing that. As Jesus was coming in, what were they shouting? Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna just briefly means, God save us. And you know what he did? He did exactly that. He came in and we are going to trust. We are going to cry, Hosanna. We are going to say, God save us. And then we are going to look at the foolishness of the cross. We are going to look at the apparent foolishness of the triumphant entry. And we are going to realize that we are actually beholding the victor. And we are going to say, God save us. And we are going to stand firm in the faith that He gives us. And the power that He gives us. Now, if the enemy's greatest work is all going to come down to how he lies to us, that means our primary response is going to be with truth. So Satan comes and he says, well, Stephen, you're weak and pathetic. And I say, well, that might be true, but it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Satan comes and he says to me, Stephen, you're not worth loving. And then I say, well, greater love has no man than this, that you lay down his life for one's friends. And then I can say to the enemy, well, I am actually rooted and established in love. And I can say, Romans 8, that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then Satan comes and he says, well, you're not strong enough. And I can say, well, that might be true. But the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me. Hey, Stephen, remember your sin? Remember what you did? Then I can say, well, it is written, as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed my transgressions from me. Stephen, are you sure you saved? 
Are you sure you're a child of God? And then I can say, well, it is written. He who has a son has life. And so we go on. So we resist in the power of Christ. You might remember we did a sermon on the armor of God last year. Isn't that exactly what that is? We get given a shield of faith. To deal with the fiery darts and lies of the enemy. How do we respond to the fiery lies? With faith. What has God said and how do we walk forward based on what God has said? We get given a sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're given a breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ given to us. Not my own righteousness. So I declare that I'm righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done for me. What do I have? I have a helmet of salvation. Again, He comes and He attacks. Are you saved? And I say, no, 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 I'm covered by the salvation of Jesus. Which is not based on my perfections or my imperfections. It's all based on the perfection life of Christ. And so we can go on and on. I know that it is a daily struggle to spend time in God's Word. I know that it is a daily struggle to find some time to kind of do our prayers. And guys, I want to say to you, it's not about, you know, kind of reading a verse and, and maybe having one of those books that maybe explains a little bit about the verse and you feel so wonderful inside or you're watching the time you're like, oh, I really should get going now. And, oh, let me quickly do my prayers. And I really hope God saw that. It's not about that. It's about life and death. It's about aligning yourself with the one true power who's been given to you. It's about aligning your thinking with the words of Jesus. It's about recognizing that, no, you don't have it in you to combat the enemy. But it's reminding yourself and aligning yourself with the power of God that is in you. That is why we read God's Word. That is why we pray. That is why we abide in the One who has won. I want to do something that we do from time to time. And I want to invite anyone who is maybe feeling for whatever reason that you're in the crosshairs of the enemy. We want to pray for you this morning. And again, we don't want to blame the devil for everything, but we do want to recognize we have an enemy out there. And he whispers to us, and he speaks to us, and he tempts us, and he lies to us. And, and, and maybe you don't have exact clarity with what exactly is going on in your life. But at some level, you're just feeling like, hey man, I think the devil's got my number. So I want to ask all of us, let's just close our eyes, and if that's you, I want you to stand. If that's you, I want you to stand. There's no shame in this. In fact, this is great courage. You're standing and you're saying, I feel like he's landed some blows here. And I don't know how to respond from this point. My friends, if you're standing around someone who has to, please would you stand around them. Lay your hands on them. We're going to pray. And if the rest of us, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray trusting God's power and trusting God's spirit. So let's pray in faith. Jesus, we thank you that you came to destroy 
the works of the enemy. And guys, if, if you're one of the ones who stood, I just want you to, as I say these things, yes, Jesus, you can. To destroy the work of the enemy. Jesus, thank you that the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living in me. And thank you that greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. Maybe you've been trusting your own ability to fight this. And maybe just in the quietness of your own heart, Jesus, I can't do this, but you have done it. And I choose to trust your power. Father, I pray that your spirit would be so powerfully at work here this morning. That your kingdom would be coming here at Grace Trinity on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, your reign, your rule, where, where you speak and demons flee. Where you speak and the devil cowards. He knows your victory and he knows his future. We don't work towards victory, we walk from victory. We look at the cross, we see God working powerfully in the universe. And Jesus, we pray that that reality would be powerfully true in all who are standing here this morning. Folks, I'm just going to let us just stay in this space for about a minute or so. If you've got your hand on someone's shoulder, just be praying for them. Whether it's under your breath or out loud, just be praying for them. The rest of us as a church just be praying for faith. The devil hates faith.